Today I'm interviewing Coach Jarrett Laws from Salem High School in Conyers, Georgia. Coach Laws began his coaching career down in Florida and that is where he first became a head football coach. But due to the discrepancy in pay between what a high school football coach in Florida gets, he moved up to Georgia and he became the head football coach at Mount Zion High School from 2007 to 2008. He then went to take over a new football program at Drew Charter High School and they instantly became a success and he led them to a top five state ranking. He was the head coach there from 2009 to 2013. Then he went to Georgia Powerhouse Griffin High School from 2014 to 2015 and he is now at Salem High School and has been there from 2016 to 2018 and he'll be going on his fourth season there at Salem High School. It's a great interview with Coach. I appreciate him being on the show today. I hope you guys enjoy it. Give us your path. Kind of let us know who you are. All right. Well, I think my story is interesting to say the least. Um, I'm going into my 22nd year of coaching now. And if I trace it all the way back, I was a kid that um, I played ball at um, in the early 90s at Wingate University. And I'm one of those guys that fell in love early. And I guess it was the right thing to do because we still hanging tough 25 years later. But me and my wife, we got married when we were teenagers in the mid 90s. Wow. And she was in school at the University of South Florida while I was in scholarship up in North Carolina at Wingate University. So my last year of ball, a good, who I would consider to be a good friend of mine now, Coach Jim Levitt, he um, gave me an opportunity to transfer down to play at the University of South Florida. We were just starting their program down there. And uh, I wanted to be closer to my wife and my family. So I came down and I played in the spring. And uh, one of the first lessons I learned in coaching is honesty is the best policy coaching. My assist, one of the assistant coaches called me in the office and uh, told me, you know, you're going to be nine on the depth chart of eight because <laughs> you're a little <laughs> too old and we're a little too young. But if you're still interested, we can keep you close to the game because we got you down here. So they gave me an opportunity to work in the video department a little bit. And in the meantime, I just started getting the bug for coaching because I was doing a little work and I was trying to observe things. And um, I was fortunate enough when I graduated to immediately get a job at a new school down the street that happened to need an offensive coordinator. Now me, yeah. I don't know offense coordinating for a can from a can of paint, but I was enthusiastic and I had uh, a great mentor, somebody who I consider to be a dear friend and a great mentor by the name of Richard Batman Wood. Little known fact about him. He's in the Buccaneers ring, ring of fame down in Tampa. And he was the first three time all American in the early seventies at a uh, university of Southern California as a linebacker. And so he brought me on staff, and it was a whole bunch of ex-NFL players, but he trusted me enough to be in charge of an offensive group. And in three years, we went from being from a brand-new school to competing for the 2002 um, Class 5A state title. Wow. And managed to make the state championship game, and I was young, and I was as crazy as the kids, and we were calling all types of plays and just having a good time. And off of that, I was offered a head coaching position uh, literally about five minutes down the street because the area was growing in Tampa and they built a new high school and they needed a coach and coach. I promise you it's the weirdest thing. I never even applied for the job. The County athletic director thought I'd be a good fit. So I was told 
by somebody that was a lot older and wiser than me that when, when the offer comes, it's not guaranteed. You take what you can get so that you can get what you want later on. Right. So I took the job and I worked it for a couple of years and I found that I wanted to get my master's degree. So once I got my master's, I looked up and if anybody's familiar with the state of Florida, you know, um, the talent is great, but the coaching pay is abysmal at best. And I looked up and I was making about the same amount of money that somebody in the same town who had been working for 42 years was making. Wow. And, the, and, and the mathematics didn't add up. So my wife, who's a registered nurse, took a look at the Atlanta area and we were, we were thinking about the Atlanta area and the D.C. area. And we looked up and, you know, I kind of got an influence on it. And we talked about the football in Georgia. And so we chose to come to the Atlanta area. And I was fortunate enough in uh, 2005 to come up here as the offensive coordinator for Mount Zion High School. I was working for a guy named Bob Ryan, who was replacing a longtime coach, Jackie Green. And Bob, he, he had an idea where he kind of just wanted to work a couple of years, but he was looking to turn a job over to someone. And the principal, whose name was at the time was Gary Townsend, one of the best men I've ever got a chance to meet, basically told me, you know, we're going to try and groom you to take this position because there was a lot of transient change in the school and the demographics were changing. And he felt like I'd be a good fit. So God thought enough to bless me enough where I worked for, as a, for a year and a half as the offensive coordinator. And then in the middle of the second year, he turned the team over to me and said, you know, basically you're the de facto head coach. I'm just going to hang around and let you get your groove. And once you're settled, I'm going to get out of here. And that was a great experience because I got a chance to work in a program that has struggled a little bit, but you got a bunch of kids to believe. And right. in three years, we managed to um, get that team making the elite eight. And here's the crazy thing about that team. I think people can appreciate this. Anybody in the metro Atlanta area will remember the time where there was an accreditation problem in Clayton County. Yes. And a lot of the kids were leaving and going to other counties. Well, we got together as a staff and administration and we talked to our kids because we had a group that really our neighborhood needed us. We were making we were changing lives, not just on the field, but off the field as well. And we talked to those kids and we said, stay with us. We're going to get this thing together. We're going to get you graduated properly, but we're going to announce to the world that we don't run away from a problem. You stay, you fix it, and you show everybody that there's a consistency here that shows just how great the kids in Clayton County are. And you could just feel a presence on us that year where you're talking about a team that uh, we had, I don't know, maybe three or four seniors and no Division One caliber players, and they got a chance to knock off the preseason number one team down in Ware County. They went and beat an undefeated team over at Augusta Evans and took Maris to the hilt, nearly beat them on Thanksgiving weekend and lost by one. But that team announced to the world that sometimes you don't have to have all of the pieces in place to get it done. And it, it influenced me to let me know that if you love kids, they'll play their way through something. Right. But ironically off of that, you know, we, we thought we'd come back the next year because we were so young and really challenged. But my principal got hired to start a new school in Clayton County, Charles Drew High School. And he pulled me in a bathroom and he said, you can stay, but we're a family and I need you. If you come with me, we can do something even greater than what we're doing. So I believe in administration above all. So I bought into his vision. We went over to Charles Drew High School and we put the plan in place. And in three years, we got ourselves ranked in the top five, in Max Prep's top five. And we had some kids compete. We got some kids signed. We were competing in the playoffs and we had a great program going, and I think we were a staple in that community where that, that Riverdale area needed us for the consistency. Right. And God moves his hand again. He makes a decision that I'm supposed to be someplace else because I look up, and the principal of Griffin High School is at Drew High School sitting in the gym just looking at me. 
And I didn't know who he was. I thought it was some stranger in the gym. I look up and I say, sir, can I help you? He said, I'm the principal at Griffin High School. I'd like to speak to you about our position. Now, me being me and my ego being about as big as a church mouse, I didn't believe it was serious. So I just told him, get out of here, man. I, you know, I don't like jokes. And he was like, I'm serious. We've heard some good things and we'd like to speak to you concerning the position. Well, lo and behold, we had a conversation and I was named the head coach at Griffin High School, which for me was nearly a dream come true. Right. So we went to Griffin and we had a difficult time at Griffin that first year because we had so much to overcome. We were coming into a situation where the administration was really good and they had a great coach leaving and coach divorced who's down at Cairo High School. I consider him a very good friend. But there was a little bit of controversy concerning a couple of kids and a couple of academic deals. And for the sake of the program, coach divorced and he left and went to a different place because he wanted to spare the program all the anguish of having to clear up this, that, and the third. And, and the program was still, from a from a foundational standpoint, very good. They just needed to reorganize itself, and it was my job to come in and reorganize it. We had a really good year, end up going, geez, I think 11-1 and one or something, and we were having a good time. And then there was an administrative change, and a new principal came in. And sometimes those of us in the coaching world know that when administration don't match up with you, the football follows. So we ended up having a – mid-range season, made the playoffs, lost in the first round, but we came to a decision where the principal and I looked eye to eye and said, we're probably not a great match. And we ended up parting ways. But you never know why things are happening because right off of that, I got an opportunity to come here to Salem High School and be the head coach. And I've been here going on, I'm going into my fourth year now, and I would tell you something, coach. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I know every day that I was the one who was supposed to be here to change the lives that I've changed here because we were necessary. And sometimes we never know why we're being moved in different directions. But that is the long story of how I ended up to be the head coach at Salem High. No, that's an awesome story, Coach. And, I, you know, talk a little bit about – I got a few things that I, that I uh, took notes here. But talk a little bit about how important administration is to, to the head coach. A lot of times we think, oh, I'm just I'll, – I'll go be a head coach at this school and I'll turn it around. But being great as a head coach, there, there's a lot of pieces that you don't control. You don't control the administration and them being on board with you. You know, you don't control necessarily the talent pool that's in your area. But talk about the importance of the administration being bought in and on board with your vision of what you want to build as a foot in a football program. Oh, definitely, Coach. I would sit up and tell any young coach that is looking to get into the head coaching business, choose administration first and foremost, because administration becomes the foundational piece that will be the support to all of these hopes and dreams that you've come up with. Because as coaches, we all have been laying in bed at night or having that late night drive. And in our mind, we see the vision, you know, we see it. If we, if, if I had a program and I did X, Y, and Z, I could make a difference and this would be the result. And mathematically it makes all the sense in the world in our heads, but administration controls your ability to implement everything that you think of. And I can think back to being a young coach. I never considered anything outside of the X's and O's and just simply developing relationships. You never think about from an academic standpoint, how do you want to structure a kid's schedule when they come into the school to make sure that they're taking the proper academic classes or something as simple as making sure during the summer that you're going you're to be supported with the amount of buses that you'll need to travel to the different camps. You know, from a fiscal standpoint, 
what is going to be the discussion about how you develop your fundraising and what you are and aren't allowed to do. And just simply having a sounding board sometimes, because we've all had those nights where we look up and it's not quite falling into place, but having an administration that stands up and understands your vision. You know, I'm a little different in the fact that everywhere I've been, I've always been very honest and forthright with administrations and telling them, I don't do, I don't do things in a traditional way. I'm going to come in and we're going to start foundationally from the inside out. We're going to build the person and we're going to build the character. And after that, the football will come. Well, if you have somebody that's not familiar with the athletics portion of it, sometimes they just want to see things resonate into wins and losses or, Hey, you don't need this resource or that resource. If you've got helmets and footballs, you should be able to go get it. And Having a proper administration that understands what your plan is academically, what is your plan socially, and what is your plan physically from the standpoint of implementing football, you've got to be in line with that because I I don't know too many coaches in our business that have had a chance to be successful without that foundational piece of administration defending them, supporting them, and giving them the room to grow and become better at where they're they're at and what they're doing. No doubt. So, Coach, you talk about how you do things and and how – you are a little bit different, maybe maybe countercultural in the football sense of, of being a head coach. When you come in and you build a program, well, real, you really got a chance to come in and build your program from the ground up there at Drew. And then you instantly, you know, within three years or, or maybe even faster than that, you turn it into, you know, a, a team that was recognized statewide. What are some things that you did that you think were foundational in creating a successful product there? That's a great question, Coach. I would tell you this. I think, and this would bode well for, like I said, a lot of young coaches getting started themselves. You have to measure the program for where it is and its community needs rather than what looks good in your head. Because I could sit back and I'm, I live in McDonough, so I live 10 minutes away from one of the most successful programs in the state of Georgia, as well as nationally in Elka. And I can look and I can see everything that Elka's doing and how they line up and how they do these things and that things. But if my dynamics and everything that I'm dealing with in my area, as far as my children, the socioeconomics that they face, the, 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 the challenges that they have on and off the field, if those things are diametrically different and my administrative piece is diametrically different than what's going on at a multiple state champion, well, what's good for them may not be good for me. So you have to go into areas and figure what works for who you're serving. And I think it comes with having a servant's attitude. A lot of times as coaches, we think we got the answer and we come in and all we need is just some kids, some helmets and balls, and we can tell them what to do and it's going to happen. What I did in particular at Drew is I looked at the dynamics of where those kids were coming from, from a middle school standpoint. And plus, remember, we had to gather kids from different high schools to come to a new school. So we were gathering kids from North Clayton High School, from Mount Zion High School, from Riverdale High School, some from a couple of other schools in Clayton County. And when those coaches started to mix, you know, sometimes not every ingredient in the world goes into the gumbo. You got to decide what should be there and what shouldn't. So we questioned the children. We questioned the parents. We literally had surveys where we were trying to find out what are some of the things that they're dealing with emotionally, financially, educationally. And we took all of this and began to build the football program around it. And then we literally had a combine with the kids and kind of just looked at them. What can this kid do? What can this kid not do? And we sort of made a decision from 
what systems we'd run to how we'd run practice to how we'd engage our kids off the field based upon what was going to make them the best holistic person to function in their walk of life and where they were and what they were doing. And it ended up being one of those situations where once the person started to develop, then they developed as a group of people. And at that point, it got really easy to start calling plays because they knew that the love was in the room. So anything you told them, they'd go for it. And it just ended up being a great situation with everybody involved. So talk. So now, you know, you, you've established yourself as a coach there, Drew. You can build a program. You've had success. So you know how to do all those things. And then you go to, to Griffin, which, you know, at, at that point, really, when you, when you say Griffin, still everybody in the state knows. I mean, this is a team that's been a powerhouse in the state of Georgia probably for, Early. I don't know, since, since whenever it was built. Um, yeah. yeah, so what is that like going into a school with that culture, those expectations, all that kind of stuff? The biggest change I had to get adjusted to at Griffin was – I had to recognize that I wasn't the genesis of the culture. Everywhere I'd been beforehand, there was some difficulties or either that or something didn't, didn't exist. So there was a culture need and I was able to come in and actually develop the culture as to the way I saw it to be. So I'd do my little examinations of everyone and find out what the needs were and then I'd start to develop the culture. Well, at Griffin, there was a tradition that existed long before I ever walked through those doors. And to that, to my principal's credit, who was there at the time, Keith Simmons, very good man. He was very honest and forthright with me. When we talked, he said, listen, Griffin is an animal. All we're looking to do is to have someone feed it. We're not looking to get someone to come in and recreate anything that they believe Griffin should be. Griffin stands on its own. You just have to decide what will be your mark and what can you add to the Griffin culture. And so that was an adjustment. And then when you're coming in, you got to understand I'm coming into a situation where these kids are 15 and 0, had just won the class 4A state title, and a great deal of them were coming back. And they were extremely hurt because they had a coach that was very good to them, that they admired, and that they considered family. And when they hired me, they hired me two weeks before spring ball was to begin. So when I walk in, quite naturally, I'm the enemy. And I was humble enough to understand that those kids were going to see me that way. So I had to make sure that I told them there is no de-emphasis of what you've done. We're just going to try to add to it. Some of those kids will tell you to this day, one of the best things I think I did for them is that we put up a picture in that locker room of their coach holding up the state championship. And what I told those kids is we're not getting rid of your coach because I consider your coach to be a friend. We're going to honor the work that he did here and we're going to show him that he's leaving us a great legacy to work with. So we put a picture of that coach holding that title in every one of their lockers. And I told them, you can frame it. You can laminate it. You make sure you hold on to one of the best moments in your life. And let's see, can we do something to honor that work and continue it moving forward? And then I did a lot of studying of who the kids were. Before I went in, I read as many articles as I could about the kids. I asked a bunch of coaches about their personalities. What do they like? What don't they like? I learned their families, their girlfriends, as much as I could. So when I came in, I could immerse myself in their culture very quickly. And I think that's one of the things that allowed them to buy into me and give us a chance at that undefeated season because they felt 
it was bigger than me just wanting to come and be the head coach at Griffin. And I knew I could never at Griffin. You're not going to be the best coach. Everybody's going to be a great coach. My job was to come in and add something inside of them. And I figured if I could come in and be the one guy that could coach them, but could love them harder than anybody else had loved them before and grow them into people who were going to exist well, both off the field when the game was over, as well as being great athletes, then that'd be something unique I could do. And in a, in doing that and just, just yielding to the, the, the tradition of the program and letting them, you know, say, okay, coach, when we get off the bus, this is how we get off. We walk in the locker room. This is what we do. We have this tradition. This is how we do our jumping jacks and things of that nature. And yielding to that and honoring the work that they did, they then allowed me to come in and put in my systems and things that I believed in. And I think in particular in year one, it was a great partnership. Yeah. When, all right, so you go to Salem and uh, I think, you know, you've been getting better and better every single year uh, that you've been there. Talk about some challenges you faced at first and what, are, and what you're doing now to continue to build the program in the right direction. Wow. Salem, Salem was a different animal in itself in the fact that there was always a great deal of talent in this part of town, but from a commitment to doing everything that's necessary to be a year-round annual football program, the kids had never really been immersed in that culture. The coach that was here before me, John Starr, very good coach, good man. Coach Starr was on the edge of being able to retire and move on to the next phase of his life, and he kind of balanced the program. He had the kids organized. They were playing good ball, but there was a fire there that needed to be stoked. And that was particularly the reason why coach stepped away. He said himself, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a new challenge. And those kids had kind of become the tail wagging the dog a little bit. So that year one, we came in in 2016, I can recall there was a portion of that season where we were making some very tough decisions from a staffing standpoint. You know, we have this kid suspended for a game. This kid may be suspended two weeks. This kid has got to do extra work. And it was a struggle with them to understand that we were going to do things a certain way. You know, I can recall in week four, we were 3-0, and and we seemed to be rolling pretty good. And in hindsight 2020, I realized now that's because they had not gotten to the point where they wanted to, you know, try the system and touch the water a little bit, see what they could get away with. And we were playing in our fourth game. And funniest thing, I had a thing where, you know, we're going to wear the same socks. We're going to wear the same shoes. We're going to dress the same way. You know, I want uniformity and conformity. Well, the kids decided they were going to come out in their own socks and their own shoes and things of that nature. And I told them before the game, I said, I get where you're going with this. We're going to have a problem because we're not going to take the field until you get dressed the way I want you to. If I allow you to take the field, I'm going to show you that we can't be successful this way. Well, we had two or three holdouts, so we ended up having to keep those kids out of the game, and the focus had gotten off, and that led to a three-game losing streak because for three weeks, they were trying to force some old things on us that were not team-building, and right. a lot of them didn't understand that um, I'll go for anything so long as it's uniformity amongst the kids and it's building our character, And but once we got through that struggle, the great thing that came out of that is that we had a strong 10th grade class up underneath those older kids who saw that there's a way to do it better and we began to pour into the program but we really poured into those kids and we made sure that they understand you know we talked to the seniors and those who were bought in we'd say we're going to do everything we can to get you to be successful and get you to the next level but that 10th grade class we told them sometimes when you're the little brother you've got to learn what not to do 
You know, only a fool makes the mistakes of his father. So they started to buy into that. And we slowly built them into a team that wanted to start doing off-season conditioning because their off-season conditioning consisted of a different format than what we did. And, you know, we started saying, hey, you got to get up six in the morning and get here. And it was a struggle. And again, falling back to administration, administration was very supportive of us because we had to go into the community and talk to the parents. It is important for you to find a way or make a way for them to be here. Because, you know, with me, I drive a Honda Accord. I can't fit but six or seven of them in there. Right. <laughs> we got to make sure we're teaming up to get them to yeah. school. So we had some parents get together and administrative helped out with a little bit of uh, uh, transportation help. And, you know, once we started to get those kids in and they started to recognize that there was a better way, then they could have comparative stories to these other programs that they were familiar with. Because there were other programs around the area that they were talking about their early morning workouts and their mat drills and things of that nature. Our kids had never known anything about that. So once they started to be able to compare those stories, they felt like they should have a shot to measure up. And I think the best thing I can say about that, this, this group that we just graduated, in that first year I got here, I took that Salem group over to Woodward Academy. And good Lord, they beat us 74 to 6. They could have won 200 to nothing if they didn't, if they had chosen. Coach Hunt showed me some mercy and was like, hey, let's play the, the fifth graders in the fourth quarter. Right. But in two years' time, those kids were able to turn around in this past season, get a significant win in the same spot that could have easily broken the program in half. And I think it just is a testament to a group of kids that wanted to buy into a disciplined way of doing things, but they had to understand that that discipline has got to come from self-accountability. A lot of times as coaches, we want to try and be the ones to make the kids disciplined. And I tell the kids all the time, one of the things we like to say is if you got a team that's built out of um, debt, um, out of debt, you've got a chance to win. I always tell them not out of love because love's not enough to win and not out of desire because it's not enough to win because love is too forgiving. You know, if you're my friend and you drop the ball, if I love you, but I just love you, I'm just going to tell you, okay, you'll make another play. But we know in the fourth quarter, you don't get a chance. But when it's debt and these kids owe each other, love becomes a supportive force. But that group bought into debt. And I think that's what's allowed us to grow year after year. No, that's awesome, man. Uh, I like that. So, Coach, talk a little bit about, because I think a critical piece of being a successful head coach is getting parents to buy in to the process and and the thing is 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 parents have a, a big stake you know you got to bring your kid here you have to support us when he's not doing what he's supposed to do and we hold him accountable you can't let him quit you have to make him keep coming back out there's a lot of preaching and talking with and encouraging parents and you've talked about that at every place that you've been and now right there at Salem how you've turned the program, but you had to go to parents. Talk a little bit about that because I think maybe an assistant coach and maybe other head coaches out there don't understand I have to invest in relationships with parents. Wow. I mean, you're literally preaching the truth right there. One of the things I've always believed, and I try and use it, I have a um, a daughter that'll be 25 this year and a son that'll be 21 next year. And the both of them, when I think about them in my house, what I found is this. Anybody that loved my child, regardless to how I felt about them, I developed some affinity and love for them because I always saw things through my child's eyes. If my children loved you, then there was something good about you because I believe everything that I put into my child. And so if my kids looked at someone and they said, hey, that person's all right, dad, then I developed some sort of a love for them because I said it had to be something great with them. Now, taking that into coaching, I believe you have to win the hearts and minds of the children. 
and children see BS a mile away. If you come in and it's all about this system that you just got from uh, Washington or Auburn or someplace and this, right. this phenomenal defense, and it's going to work and I'm the smartest guy in the room. That'll get you about one month's worth of credit with kids until they start trying to find out some things about you. But if you're the type of person that you come in and you are vested in those kids, the person that they are, and you are genuine with it, I think it helps parents buy in because it's rough out here today. Parents are looking for support any way they can. And something that keeps those kids walking the straight and narrow, they're going to support it. And one of the things we try and get the parents to understand early is I'm not trying to be the second parent. But what I'm telling you is I may be the greatest resource that can perform the following. These next four years that that child is going to be with us will, in fact, determine the next 40 years of their life. I have a plan to help you help your child see the best part of their 40 years by investing into this four. And we come up with a plan and we partner with the kids first. We make sure that those kids understand that there's something in this for you. I don't care if it's the last guy on the bench and all he's doing is giving us a great scout team. Look, we're going to find a way to make sure that he understands that our day doesn't run good unless you're a part of it. And when the parents begin to see that, then it, they rally around each other and begin to develop the, the, the want to, to be a part of it. Now, does it work for everybody? Not at all. Because I've had cases where I've sat with my staff and some of my assistant coaches would tell you, I'll tell them in a minute, for the next two years, we're his daddy. Don't question me on that. When we yeah. say we're his daddy, that means not only do we have to make sure that he makes it to practice, we may be responsible for prom. We may be responsible to make sure that his senior debt gets paid. We're going to have to make sure that if he breaks up with his girlfriend, we're available to at night for him to give us that call and, and, and shed a couple of tears about it. But in doing so, sometimes even the kids that don't need it, if they see you loving another one of their brothers that way, then they feel like they've got to become a part of it. And that has helped us tremendously in coming into difficult situations and getting kids to buy into the football part of it. Because football's hard nowadays. You know it as well as I do. The kids aren't willing to run through walls just for the sake of running through walls anymore. Kids have the internet at their hands. They want to know what and why and how does this benefit me? And a couple of them want to know how many stars is that going to get me on Rivals.com. Right, right, So we've right. got to make sure that something that we give them is going to be tangible beyond that. So I think when, 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 when you take the time to invest in that child and you're pouring into their hearts and minds and the parent can see that that's where you're pouring it, most of the time that's going to get the parent to try and partner with you. Right. I always talk to my coaches about you have to earn the right to coach that child. And wow, that's to, awesome. And you have to earn the right, you know, to, to invest in another person's child. And, um, and so that's exactly what you're talking about right there. And I think, you know, and coach, you know, there's all kinds of podcasts out there where you can talk about X's and O's and all that kind of stuff. I just really find that meaningless. And I really like to talk to coaches about what they're doing to build their program from a relationship standpoint with the people in the community. Cause like you and I were talking about, you know, I believe, I really truly believe this, that and you can talk a little bit about it. The high school football coach is a huge catalyst in building men and forging, I guess, consistency and unity in a community because those boys that are playing football, they're natural leaders. And the school, they're, they're, they have the ability to influence the kids in the school and, you know, my big thing is, is I get aggravated because 
I find out some of the Clayton County schools in in the Fulton County schools and your school might be like this. They don't, they, they're six, a schools, five, a six, a schools, and they only have two coaches that are full-time employees. Oh, wow. I just feel like it's a huge travesty of our government and education system because they're not paying coaches like you to get more people to help you do what you're talking about doing. You know, it's amazing you say that, Coach. That is such a good point. A lot of a lot of coaches have come to recognize that have been head coaches for a while that you are only as good as the hands and fingers that branch off of you and can touch your children. I can have all the ideas in the world in my mind, but if I don't have a group of people around me who are adult men who are committed to the same things I believe in, we're not going anywhere and it doesn't work. And in a lot of the metro districts, it really is difficult to try and staff in a way that is supportive of what you're trying to get done. You know, we always around here try and use examples such as your program or Marist, or if we go talk about some of the city-wide programs like Cartersville or Carrollton or programs where you know that some simple things have been done where from year to year, these programs will have a few talented kids, but you can guarantee and bet your bottom dollar that it is not that that program has just a plethora of talented kids that are four and five star just carrying that coach to championships. They are kids who are of average to a little above average athletic ability, but there are so many eyes that are watching them and pointing them in the right direction and coaching the most finite pieces of what's needing to be done both on and off the field until when that happens, now all of a sudden you can take a kid and, all of a sudden he becomes something so much better because he knows every time he takes the wrong step, like, you know, around here, we'll tell the kids, if I told you a six inch step, you took eight inches. I don't, pre- I don't appreciate it. Go run. You know, if you've got somebody whose job is to pay attention to that six inch step, that six inch read step, if that kid gets perfect at that, then he's going to get perfect at a whole bunch of other things. And, um, Many years ago, Chip Lindsey, who I'm certain you're familiar with now, the head coach over at Troy university, when Chip yes, was at Lassiter, Chip and I were working a camp together and Chip told me once, he was like, coach, I think you're pretty good. And this was about, uh, this might've been 10, 10, 11 years ago. He was like, coach, I think you do a good job, but I'm going to tell you something with what you got going on right now. Every time I got a team, if anything is comparable, I'm going to beat the brakes off you. And I'm like, well, that's a heck of a thing to say. I think I'm pretty good at what I'm doing, man. He was like, no, let me tell you. He said, for a lot of y'all, you're short on coaches but you have some talented kids. But if that kid knows he's a 300 bencher and a four five sprinter, but there's not someone there at every single corner to challenge him, 10 out of 10 times, he's got that ability, but maybe three or four times out of 10, is he going to maximize that ability? Because there's not a counterbalance system of a set of eyes to, to take a look at it. Whereas with us, we don't have very much talent, but if my kid runs a four eight forty and is a 225-pound bencher, I've got a set of eyes that looks at him and tells him every time if he ran a 4.9 and was benching 224, that wasn't his maximum ability, so we can hold him accountable. So that means in those seven plays where your guy's not maxing out, my guy's probably going to win because we have a set of eyes on it. And he was just explaining that being his theory to having great assistant coaches. And that has stuck with me throughout the years that 
I, as good as I'd like to think I would be as a head coach, I always try and surround myself with good people. And in the metro area, sometimes that takes voluntary guys to come in through the lay coach program and things of that nature. But you have to make sure that, again, as I was saying previously, fashion your system to fit what you have. So if your guys are not going to be there all the time, then you've got to make a system that works for them to be the best coaches they can be for you, as well as making it good for the kids. Because anything outside of that, you're not going to have the success you're looking for. Absolutely, man. Uh, good stuff. So, Coach, I know you got practice coming up here in a few minutes. What advice, be the last question I have for you, what advice for that young coach out there who has head coaching ambition, what advice, you've been a head coach for a long time, you've learned a lot of things, what's one or two things that you can tell him to help him out in his quest? Well, the first thing I would tell him real quick, find you somebody who looks like what you want to look like 20 years into the game and find out very quickly, how did he end up where he is? I mean, like I said, I'm going into year 22 and, and 16 as a head coach, and I still try and seek out different people to talk to like yourself or other coaches around the area so I can try and learn as much as I can so that I can grow. Sometimes when we're young coaches, we get too smart for our own good. And it's important for a young coach to find someone to link up with and emulate. And I don't mean through X's and O's. Look for something that works with your situation. If you tend to think that you're going to be working in an urban area, find you a coach that has been successful in the urban area and has been producing great people. If you think you're going to be in a rural area and it's in rural Georgia, rural, wherever you are, find a coach that's been able to get those kids out of those rural areas and get them to school every day and get it going on. You know, to, uh, Eric Parker over at Burke County is a great example of somebody who works in a rural area and rallies his kids through all types of situations to be a part of the program if you go into different urban situations there are several coaches that you can link up with that have done great jobs if you look you know if you know you're gonna probably get a job that's gonna be difficult in the beginning find out find somebody that's had to do the impossible you know we were talking earlier jason carrera that would be a great guy to go sit up underneath for a weekend and just listen to how did he take a program that was on one of the longest losing streaks in the state of Georgia and make it to where they were competing at the highest level of classification in the state of Georgia. What happened? And I think when, when young coaches do that, they'll find that it has very little to do with X's and O's and a lot to do with some off the field things that had to occur. And then outside of that, just tend to think about what, when someone has to talk about what defines you, be sure that that's what you're working on as an assistant coach, because just about everybody that I know that turned out to be a great head coach, they were head coaches before they ever got the call. They were taking control of certain things, both on and off the field, in their programs, and they were leaving impactful, impactful moments on kids around them. Every successful coach that I've ever seen, you know, when they walked out the door, if a kid didn't cry, something was wrong. And I love to see when coaches move on. If a kid sheds a tear, that's saying something significant about the work that they've left behind. And I think when young coaches just sort of approach it that way and then totally realize that it's not about them, you're not going to invent the wheel. You know, this thing has been here before you. It's going to be here after you. Just think about what can you contribute to our culture and to our cause of helping young people. At that point, then you get into an, uh, an area where your work can be blessed and you can get an opportunity to make an impactful moment on their lives. And if all that happens, the exit and O's tend to follow. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I always like to pray for the coach. And if you, uh, at the end, if you don't mind. Certainly. 
Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today. Just want to praise and thank you for for loving us, Lord. And first and foremost, we praise and thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Lord, I praise and thank you for Coach Law and what he's doing there at Salem High School and what he's done his whole entire career by investing in uh, the boys, Lord, not just their football, but first and foremost, their heart and their souls. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to use him and his coaching staff there at Salem High School to continue to build men. We pray, Lord, that they would have a great football season this year and just come together as one and love each other. And Lord, like he said, uh, work hard for each other and um, create that debt uh, for each other. Lord, I pray uh, for all the other coaches out there, Lord, as we're about to get started, you will just be with us and may we put building men before winning football games. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Appreciate amen it, Coach. And amen. Absolutely, Coach. Thank you so much for thinking about us and anything we can do for in the future, let us know. Yes, sir. Thank you. No problem, Coach. We see you. Bye. Look up in the sky Ooh, I made it I think I'm gonna lie When I tell you I ain't gonna take it I got hands on the nation Check my reputation Yeah, that scoreboard still wanna know That my tomb is vacant That's why I'm undefeated Run things, y'all better believe me. Spin the earth on my finger like round ball. I'm a globe trotter, that's easy. No lie, boy, y'all got me messed up. Not Buddha, Mohammed, not Dane Show, ain't no Jesus. At all. Y'all act like I ain't made where you stand. Y'all act like I ain't trying to hold plan. Act like my son ain't died on that cross. I ain't taking no loss I love you with all of my heart That's the reason I'm here with my hands open Giving my grace I know that you know that I'm here Ignore me if you won't But the next time you spit in my face You better just Look up in the sky Ooh, I made it You think I'm gonna lie But I tell you I ain't gonna take it I got hands on the nation Check my reputation yeah, that scoreboard still wanna know that my tomb is vacant. That's why I'm undefeated. Undisputed, no mistakes of plan B. In the end, you all marvel like it's dancing. Don't doubt me, but know about me. It don't look like I'm in the lead, but your ignorance don't make you safe because the worst punch is the one you don't see. Till you don't see, then I ain't done yet. Watch how the glory my son gets. The whole world's been set up, but you backwards, you upset. I, I was the one that put man on this planet, but I'm man in the planet. I'm planning my plan, and I'm planning out history. Spoiler alert. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. I told Sad and Nap. Look up in the sky. Ooh, I made it. You think I'm gonna lie? When I tell you I ain't gonna take it, I got hands on the nation. Check my reputation. Yeah, that schoolboy still wanna know that my tomb is vacant. That's why. I'm
undefeated Amen. 